welcome to the Redeemer 20 Sermon Podcast, where our goal is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. My name is Luke Dirks, and I'm your host, and I'm also privileged to lead the 20s ministry at Redeemer Church in beautiful Rockford, Illinois. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at our Thursday night gathering at 7 p.m. We hope you enjoy this, and we hope you also join us at a future Thursday. Man, who's thankful for worship tonight? Yes, worship through song, I should say. Because when we open up God's word, the worship doesn't stop, amen? It keeps going. And so why don't you turn with me, if you have your Bible, hold it high. This word is solid. The grass may fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And so that's what we're opening tonight. We're opening up to Matthew chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, um, open up there with me. All right, so tonight we're going to be turning back <coughs> um, to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look specifically at verses 13 to 16 tonight. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. Coughing into a mic's never good. Um, but this is, the Sermon on the Mount really is one of the most impactful sermons ever preached. One of the most impactful sermons ever preached, and it spans two chapters, and it was given by Jesus to his disciples around him on the mount. And that is the context. Jesus says uh, in verse 1 of chapter 5, it says, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And so tonight in the text, Jesus answers this question, what is the calling of the church? What is the church supposed to be? The title of my sermon is called The Unique Calling of the Church. And it is a beautiful calling. It is exhilarating. And it's a better calling than, than anything this world has to offer. And uh, Jesus said it best. He said, this is your calling. You are to be the light of the world, Christians. You're to be the salt of the earth. And that is a, a beautiful calling. So we're going to unpack that tonight. But first, we have to see it. We have to see this passage in the context of the kingdom of God. Because as, um, that's actually my, my first point. Number, point number one is we're called by the king. And it, as chapter five begins, it is ringing with the echoes of Jesus beginning his ministry beginning to speak of the gospel, to speak of the kingdom of God. And so Matthew, um, Matthew is, was begun to be written um, after a period of silence from God for about 400 years. How many of you knew that? There was about 400 years between when the Old Testament finished and when the book of Matthew started that Israel didn't hear from God. It's a long time. And the world that we enter into in Matthew was littered with moral decay. Um, God's chosen people were subjugated to the Romans. People were dwelling in great darkness, chapter 4 tells us of Matthew. And it is into this dusty and dark world that the Son of God enters. And he immediately began to call people and tell them of the kingdom of God in Mark chapter 1, verse 5, he said, he preached the good news and said, the kingdom of God is at hand. It has come near. And the message of the king, 
the message of the gospel was this, that the family of God was open to all through Jesus' life and death. That sinners are welcomed into the family of God. It's a beautiful message. I'm a sinner. And the family of God is open. And, and so the call of Jesus was to be rescued. Be rescued from the decay of the world. Be, be rescued from the darkness. Receive the generous heart of your Father in heaven. The, his offer of salvation and purpose. And we see the response. It was one of crowds upon crowds of people flocking to him. You know, the, the perpetual road trip of the disciples in Jesus was always full of people following them. And even just when they decided and they thought they were away, the crowds would find them. So desperate were they to hear of this kingdom of God. But it was these people, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the public sinners, that Jesus was calling. Even the religious hypocrites, the, the Galilee was overturned with this kingdom of God, this news all these people being called by the king. And so it is a glorious calling, Christian. The church has been called by the king. We're talking about the calling of the church. The church has been called by the king. And we've been called to a unique mission. And, and this is a better mission, I, I said, than, than anything this world has to offer. You see, the mission of the king will last beyond your lifetime. You see, the world is desperate to leave a legacy. The rich are naming buildings after themselves in hopes of living beyond their life. And entrepreneurs are trying to come up with this product that is going to outlast them and it's going to impact the world. But so few people are really remembered. I could count the people I remember from 50 years ago on one hand. Hopefully more than that. My, my historical teacher of eighth grade would be ashamed of me for saying that because he spent so much time with me, teaching me history. But, but, but the truth is there that so few people are remembered. And it's because they're pursuing something that's, well, it's, it's empty, it's vain. It's what Ecclesiastes calls the wind, vanity. And so Christian, you, are, you have been called, the church has been called by the king to this glorious kingdom that Jesus is speaking about. And so this is just a call for us to, to examine. What are we spending our youth pursuing, friends? What are we spending our time pursuing when the king has called us into his kingdom? So often we forget that privilege of being called by God our Father into his fields to labor for the harvest. That is our beautiful calling and it is so much more thrilling than anything this world has to offer. And it is that kingdom that is the context for the Sermon on the Mount. And so when we get to the beginning of chapter 5, it is against the backdrop of Jesus revealing this new kingdom that, that we find out how the kingdom will operate. Because we're not only get called into God's kingdom, we are given a new identity. That's my second point. We're given a new identity. And so here in verse 1, the crowds come up and he, and he went down on the mountain and he sat down. And, and the immediate uh, listeners are his disciples, right? Peter, James, John. And 
we could probably surmise that the crowds are listening in and they're anxious to hear his teaching for they had one question on their minds. How will this kingdom operate, Jesus? What will it be known for? What are the principles upon which it is based? And that is what the Beatitudes embody. Alex preached a sermon called Citizens of the Kingdom. Citizens of the Kingdom, because the Beatitudes embody what a citizen of heaven looks like. The Beatitudes are the fragrance of the kingdom of heaven. And I'll show you that. So the the Beatitudes, right? So verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. You see, when the kingdom of God goes to work on a heart, the first thing he does is he convinces someone, he helps someone realize of their need. The Holy Spirit makes us aware of our need. He makes us aware that we are poor in spirit, that we have nothing to bring to God. And that this leads us then to an awareness and mourning over sin. That's verse four. Blessed are those who mourn over sin. And when you realize you're a sinner and, you have, and sin permeates your life more than you ever know and more than you ever thought possible, then you realize just how great the grace of God is for you. And it humbles you. Verse five, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And then you begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness because you realize you have none and you begin to show mercy where you were once merciless because God has shown mercy to you. And you begin to be single-minded. That's what the blessed are the pure in heart means in verse eight. Pure in heart um, isn't speaking of moral purity versus moral depravity. It's more speaking of, of, of um, a double-minded man. That is someone who is not pure in heart. The pure in heart is someone who is wholeheartedly after the Lord. And this is, this is the, the mark of the kingdom of God upon our heart. And then in verse 9, you will become peacemakers. And you will rejoice in persecution. You see, this is the, Jesus is saying, this is your identity, Christian. This is who you are becoming. You know, often we fall into the, the, the pitfall of thinking that the Beatitudes are a list to attain. The Beatitudes are a bunch of rules that if I just complete them, if I check every box, I'll bring my resume of good works before the Father in heaven and he will accept me. False. The Beatitudes are not a standard to achieve righteousness. They are what the church is becoming by the power of the Spirit. By the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, the church is becoming these. These are not natural qualities. <laughs> these are marks of the kingdom of God upon a heart. Um, my, uh, my daughter, Letty, she turns two this, sun, this Sunday, so we're very excited. I'm looking at myself in the mirror going, two years, that flew by. Um, crazy. Um, but we were over at a friend's house the other day, and she was jumping on the couch, all energetic, yelling at the top of her lungs. I'm like, you know, you're supposed to be polite. You know, it's hard to teach a two-year-old that. But, um, you know, jumping at the top of her lungs, energetic, yelling, outgoing, loud. And my wife turns to me, Megan, and she's like, you know, that's you, right? 
I'm like, okay, fine, <laughs> yes, maybe. But what she meant was, uh, Letty bears the imprint of her father upon her. She's like her father in those ways. And I didn't take it as a, as a, a bad thing. My wife was, was, you know, she was, we were having fun. She was messing with me. Um, but Letty is the way she is because of who her parents are. She bears the family resemblance. These beatitudes are the family resemblance for the family of God. These are the characteristics of the citizens of the kingdom. These are the markers of the kingdom of God at work. So Jesus comes to the crowds and they're saying, Jesus, tell us what this kingdom is all about. And he says this, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek, humble. These are what the Christian is being made into, what the church is becoming. These are the family traits. And these traits are so supernatural that it doesn't matter race, it doesn't matter your age, it doesn't matter your social, socioeconomic background. Wherever you come from, the Holy Spirit is making us all like Christ in the church. He's conforming us all like Christ and therefore we're all becoming more like each other. And it's a beautiful thing and it's a mark of the Spirit of God upon us. And so it is when the church is given these Holy Spirit Beatitudes that they will be distinct. And that is point number three. Therefore, so we're called by a king. We're called by a king. And what's my second point? <laughs> I do this sometimes. I forget. We're, we're called by a king. We're given a new identity. That's what the Beatitudes are. And therefore, that makes us distinct. Notice how Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. I think for a long time I read this as, you should become the salt of the earth. You need to strive to be the light of the world. But that's not what Jesus says, does he? He says, he looks his grubby fisherman disciples in the eye and says, you are the light of the world. You are the, the salt of the earth. And what he means is the church is to be, the church is distinct in its essence. When the church embodies the Beatitudes, they will be distinct. Distinct just means different in nature. Um, and I love the illustration of salt. And, and so if I, uh, just the, the illustration of, let's say I went up to my wife and every morning I brought to her a glass of cool, refreshing spring water. And she drank it. And 50 days in a row, I, I brought this just spring water to her. But on day 51, I brought a glass of salty seawater from the Atlantic Ocean. She would sip it, and I wouldn't want to be in the room. Went, no, no, she'd be fine. It would be different. She would notice a, a distinct difference um, between salt water and fresh water. Um, I realized this. I'm you know, a Midwestern boy who uh, went out uh, to try to surf in, in California. And the first time that I got a face full of a wave, that thing tastes different. It's, it's not fun. It just burns down your throat. That's salt water. It's different. And, and so Jesus is saying here, when he, when, he gets to, uh, when he gets to verse 13, and he says, you are the salt of the earth. And verse 14, you are the light of the world. He's saying, you are to be different. The church is distinct, and that's the purpose we're not to try to be like the world. It's good that we are distinct from the world. 
To the decaying world, we are salt. To the dark world, the church is the light. Jesus says are for a reason. Um, We're not to try to be distinct. We will be distinct if the kingdom of God is active in us, if the Beatitudes are in us. And when the world gets a taste of the kingdom through us, they will be shocked. They will be aghast because it's so different. And this is exactly how Jesus planned it. The church is to be distinct. Dr. uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones emphasizes this when he says, the glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. When the church is absolutely different from the world, she attracts the world. It is then when the world is made to listen to her message, though though it may hate it at first. Jesus' intention is that the, that the church is be different, a witness. And you know, some have fallen into the, 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 the pitfall of modeling their ministry to be just like the world. You know, I think in this ministry, we, we need to relax our standards of holiness. The world's just not going to like this thing. We need to, we need to relax it. or we need to, we need to change our worship services. We can't sing those songs. We need to sing secular songs, like psalms from rock bands. Or we need to uh, remove parts of the Bible so because it's just not, they're not relevant so, because we need to reach the world. And we just need to lower our standards. We need to call people to less commitments just because we just need to be like the world. False. That's exactly the opposite of what Jesus is teaching here. We are to be distinct. The church is distinct when the Spirit of God goes to work in the church. We are to be distinct from the world. Being worldly is not the way that we will reach the 20s of Rockford. It's not the way. It's when we yield to the Holy Spirit and He creates in us and helps us become these Beatitudes that we will attract the world. You know, there are over 10,000 college students in this area. This place, we should have at least 1,000 of them in here. We should have at least 2,000 of them in here. I could count on one hand how many 20s ministries there are in the city. I'm praying for more. More gospel preaching 20s ministries. But as long as we're here, I'm praying for thousands to come. There should be. And the way we'll do it is not by fancy, fancy methods by being the church. It's by yielding to the Holy Spirit and being different from the world. We are distinct. And so Jesus further illustrates this for us in two ways. Let's actually read the text. Verse 13, I was trying, that was all context. <laughs> what time is it, 741? Man, Alex, I'm, I'm, I'm trending to be uh, longer than you. <laughs> That's a compliment though. Um, Verse 13, Jesus says, because of who you are, because of who you are, church, the Beatitudes, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. This is the first illustration of distinctness that Jesus gives to the church. I want you to be like salt, he says. I want you to be salty. But we have to step back. (laughs) I want you to be salty. I actually Googled what salty is. Josh and I were looking up what salty was today. 
And salty means, uh, according to our world, um, salty means irritated, angry, resentful, uh, you know. That's not what Jesus meant when he said, you are the salt of the earth. You're salty. I like it. No. Um, What he meant was, Jesus, uh, what he meant was that the church is to be a hindrance to the world's moral decay. The church is to be a restraining force, a restraint of evil in the world. And you're like, how do I get that? Well, it's because you have to understand how salt was used in the ancient Near East. You see, salt was the ancient refrigeration method. Uh, Salt hinders and slows down the process of decay. So back in Jesus' time, there were definitely no HVAC contractors because there was no air conditioning. There was no heating. There was no refrigerators. So if your mom made a delicious lamb roast and you wanted to save it, well, she pre-made it because if you cooked it, it might last. Anyway, if it was raw meat and she seasoned it perfectly, you would say, Mom, this is great. I want to eat it tomorrow. Let's put salt on it so that it lasts longer. I don't know. Who's eating lamb in here? Okay, a couple. Or chicken. Or steak. <laughs> the point is here that, that salt was a, was a hindrance to decay. They, if you wanted to make sure your food was preserved, you rubbed salt into the meat. It allowed for a larger window. It was like a, a, um, uh, ooh, a Samsung top-of-the-line refrigerator today. You just put some salt on it. Uh, <laughs> salt was actually a lot more expensive back then. It was 400 times the cost of today. So a little uh, thing of Morton salt from Aldi costs about $1.43. That would cost $400 today, uh, $400 back then in our money. Salt was a, was a prized possession. Um, if you didn't have salt on your meat and you left it in the trash, it, on trash day, it's, it's rough, right? That you, you open that trash, there's rotting meat in there, you're like, close that thing down. It's bad. Uh, at my house, there's raccoons. You got to put it in the garage if there's meat in there. Anyway, it's not pleasant. You need salt to preserve the meat. And and so what Jesus is painting the picture here, he's saying the church is the salt of the earth, the hindrance to the moral decay of the world. Said another way, the rotting flesh of the world will be slowed by the influence of the church. How is that possible? Well, the the traditional family, when we uphold these social structures that God has instituted, when we obey the governing authorities and we seek to, to vote to keep them godly. This includes speaking against evil when we see it. Christians are to be salt. And even when I say that they are to be, I've, I've gone against what this whole message is about. It, it is you are salt. Christians are salt. When they embody the Beatitudes, when the Spirit of God goes to work, we will be salt. We will be that restraint upon the world. Now, salt is the negative sense, but the world needs more than restraint, does it not? It needs regeneration, and that's why we need light. And Jesus says, you are the light. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You put a city full of light on on a hill... There's no hiding it. Verse 15, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. Now, this was even more important back then. 
Because unlike the electric paradise we have today, where we have string lights and lights along the side and my iPhone that lights up, and even when all the lights are off in my house, it's still lit outside because the city. We don't really know what darkness is, (laughs) us city dwellers. Now, some of you are farm folk. Bless your soul. You might know, you might have a better idea what darkness is and the importance of being light or turning on the light. And so um, in this society back then, it was very important. Um, And so verse 16, Jesus says, In the same way, you're the light, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Jesus is saying that when the church is the church and the kingdom of God goes to work and operates in the hearts of the church, that we will be light to the world. The darkness of the world is increasing, friends. The more I live, the more I see, the more I weep for the darkness over the, corrup- over the corruption of the world. You know, that's the thing about life. You know, the more you live, the more you see. The world's dark. But God has so designed the church to be the beacon of light, to be the sunrise of hope upon this dark world. And what does that mean? It is the spreading of the gospel message. It is the preaching of God's word, not just from the pulpit, but from your individual hearts, to your coworkers, to your, to your, your family to your bosses, to your students. This is your call. This is our call. So in recap, you've been called by the king. You've been given a calling. It's better than any calling this world could offer. You've been given a new identity, church. You are being made into these beautiful things by the Holy Spirit, the Beatitudes. And because of that, you are distinct. You are equipped to go out into this world. You are equipped to reach the 20s of Rockford. Our church is equipped to reach the city, not because we have special methods, but because we're just being the church, because we have the Holy Spirit. That's all we need. We don't need a special method. And so in conclusion, what of this ministry? What are we to do? What is in it for me, you might say? Well, I might close with the fact that you must realize who this discourse was immediately spoken to. It was the, uh, the rough band of uneducated fishermen. It was to these men, he said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It was to Peter, the man who often let his mouth run too far and too long and was always putting his foot in his mouth. It was to James and John, the sons of thunder, who were known to get angry, maybe cursing the air as their nets tangled. They were called the sons of thunder. Philip, who lacked faith. Thomas, who was slow to believe and he doubted. Jesus said to them, you are the light of the world. So how could these men be called the light of the world and the salt of the earth? How could they be effective Christian witnesses? How could they push back against the decay and the darkness of the world? How could we? not rocket science. The church just has to be the church. 
Jesus is saying that when the kingdom of God goes to work in the hearts of men, we are distinct. We are set apart. He says, you are salt. You are light. It is by being who Jesus is making us into that we reach the world. So our responsibility, 20s, Redeemer 20s and the Church of Redeemer, is to embrace this calling. We are salt. We are light to our friends and neighbors. We are to have another taste, Christian. We aren't to taste like the world. Embrace that calling. We are to, not, we are to have another taste, Christian leader, Christian student, Christian worker, Christian teacher, Christian friend. We are to taste of the kingdom of God. We are to taste of the fragrance of the king. May it be true of this ministry in this church. Let's pray. Lord, I just, I thank you for this calling upon our lives. Any other pursuits are worthless. Lord, and I know in a room this size there are people in here, like myself, who pursued after the things of this world, the passing pleasures of this world for far too long, who are in it right now, and they think that those things will give them satisfaction, the wealth building, the pleasure seeking, the people pleasing. Lord, it's not. Lord, help them. Help them as you helped so many of us in here to repent of our sins. None of us are, are, are better than any other. Some of us are just forgiven. And so, God, I pray that anybody in here who is not right with God, who is not right with you, that they would turn and repent of their sins and trust in you. Lord, and I pray for the believers in here, as this is who the message was primarily aimed, that they would take up, Lord, that we would take up our calling as the church to be salt and light. Lord, that we would not look at our life as our individual walk, but as a communal walk together. Lord, we have so much help. God, thank you for who you are making us in, into. Lord, you are making us to, be, to, to have the kingdom of heaven. You are comforting us. You are giving us the inheritance of the earth. You are satisfying us. You are giving us mercy. You are calling us sons and daughters of God. You have given us your kingdom. Lord, that is to what we've been called, and we bless your name for it. So God, I pray that as the, the evening goes on and we, and we spend time together, that we be encouraging one another in godliness, that we be stirring one another up to love and good deeds. Um, Lord, that we would exhort one another daily so that we might not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Lord, make this a community that has the fragrance of you upon it. And that's only something you can do, Lord. Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. So build this house, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.